Hello. Hey, John. Well, hey there, Dan. Oh, how's everything up there? <clears throat> well, Jim, Jim Dandy, Jim Kraken. Yeah. How's everything up there? Uh, it, it's okay. It's um, it's a weird, weird world right now, isn't it? We are living in a in a weird moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when we're recording this show, the outcome of the election is still. Still uh, unknown, and depending on <clears throat> how long it takes to release this episode, that may... Um, <laughs> That's right. If you if you put it out today, then that may still be true, but we may be talking to people that already know the result. I'm going to try and get this thing out as soon as possible, just so that people can... Um you know, hear it before yeah. the election comes back. But what a strange, yeah. strange time. And of course, just like everything else in 2020, of course, we don't really know. Of course, we don't know anything. Of course. And and it's not like there's, you know, you we're reminded of the hanging Chad scenario where it was like one county in Florida we kind of have that situation now in like six different states where we're like, what are they going to do? And they keep pushing it back. And what a strange time. Yes. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a wonderful time to be alive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I just don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. This whole thing's just kind of, and it's like, you can't keep checking it because the the web pages don't change. They don't update. There's no new numbers. You know, you, uh, it'll say 86% reporting. And then like three hours later, 86% reporting. Like nothing. Yeah. No, there's no movement. There's nothing happening. And didn't, didn't I read that Pennsylvania is going to be taking the day off tomorrow or something? It's like some kind of administrative <laughs> holiday where they can't, they're not going to be working or something like, I mean, isn't that, and that they're still doing it? Like, that's crazy. To me, that's that is crazy. That's crazy. That's uh, well. Then so many of the, <clears throat> so many of the, the foibles of uh of the, just the administrative process are on display. Let alone yes. you know, the, the ten thousand uh, cracks in the, <laughs> in the system as a whole. But just yeah. like, I can't believe this is really the way that. That their servers are set up, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. No, I Very know. funny. It's Very just a funny. weird, it's a weird thing. And, you know, it, it's also what's, you know, because of the COVID situation, and and I think, and maybe you can tell me what you think the reason is, if you don't think I'm getting it right. But I think a big part of it was COVID, but I also think a big part of it was just people feeling the urgency to vote that we have this incredible number of absentee mail-in ballots, which we've, I don't, I, I mean, I would like to hear the numbers on that, but I have to imagine that we've never had this many mail-in ballots submitted in an election in the history of the country. I mean, I, I haven't heard that, no. num but that sounds right to me. I think there are more people voting in this election, uh, like even proportionately more mm -hmm. people than any election in the 20th century and and I think in in sheer numbers more people voting in this election than ever in history right. and maybe in any election anywhere yes right like <clears throat> to have to have 60 million Americans vote you're already that's already greater than the population of Great Britain <laughs> uh 
right? Is I, that? I think, uh, I think is you that might right? be right. I haven't. Well, I can't well, verify that. Yeah, but, but Great Great Britain is has a population of sixty five million people, and um, let's see how many voters have voted so far. Some something I'm not going to look it up, but something close to. You're, we're, we're beginning to have as many voters as most of the most populous countries in Europe. I think Germany <laughs> has closer to 80 million, but, <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, so it's a, it's an extraordinary undertaking when you look at the numbers. I mean, what's, what's been crazy for me is realizing that you could say 98% of the votes had been counted in Georgia, mm-hmm. but that 2% of votes still represents tens and tens of thousands of people because millions have of votes have been counted. So even though you're like 98%, why the surely, <clears throat> surely, you know, that the, uh, the results, but in fact, the number of outstanding votes is still greater, much greater in some cases than the, than the spread between the two. Counts. Yes, absolutely. So like this really matters. And I keep hearing things it's that, nuts. Oh, well, these, the, these that are out are t- t- going to, come in for this way another i don't know it's all crazy it's all crazy we we won't know and then when we do when when a winner is declared whenever they figure that out and do it that's still not the end of it like we're there's still going to be lawsuits there's still going to be recounts there's still going to be all of that nonsense well well i have to i have to say that um that the results as they've come in have been uh, what 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 this election has has actually shown <clears throat> is that it's been pretty orderly. There haven't been any irregularities. It's been just a slow and steady, regular process of counting votes, and the Trump administration and all of that whole hullabaloo over there. Sure, they're doing what we always knew they would do, which is just making hay out of nothing. But no one involved in the process has been uh, – we haven't seen any instances where uh, voting uh, – or election officials anywhere have said, we're going to stop the count or there's any question about the ballots. Like all the people doing the – doing the election stuff seem to be taking their jobs pretty seriously yes. and are doing it properly. So if it all pans out in the next couple of days, if Nevada uh, announces its results, if, uh, if Pennsylvania does and if Georgia does, and they're just, they're regular and they're within um, uh, a certain amount of like normal, deviation there's no real call for a recount because the recounts are um recounts are triggered when results are within a percentage point or within a half a percentage point right but if it's if it's uh, if it's normal if it's just like we counted the votes and here are the results and it's and it's um and there's not a there's not a question of hanging chads we're not within 700 votes of each other. There isn't any reason for a recount and to do one would be very expensive. And I think the person calling for the recount has to pay for it. Oh yeah, and, I did. that's right. You're right about that. That, that, that brings back memories of the whole hanging Chad scenario. 
Um, yeah, it was that, I mean, those questions where it's all hanging on, uh, on 700 ballots or something. And that was all happening in December. You know, that was a month later, the results still hadn't come in. I don't think, I mean, again, depending on when you put this out, people may be, um, may be living in a reality where they know the answers to these questions, but, mm-hmm. but there's no, there isn't actually any disorder in the process. What we're seeing is that, uh, magnets are, are freaking out, but the people that you were worried about the, all these federal judges, supposedly all the, you know, the military men and the cops and all these like, uh, Trumpers who were hiding behind uniforms, that whole crowd, particularly the judges, they're like, well, there's no case to adjudicate, right? A judge isn't just going to walk to their office one day and say, I declare, (laughs) you know, (laughs) somebody has to file a suit that's legitimate. Right. And there's nothing, nothing to file a suit about. There's no fraud to, to detect. So it may be that we get that kind of situation that's in some cases like a like a pretty good we we missed our chance at a landslide and that has dismayed everybody. It really you could feel the energy go out of a lot of people because there was this expectation that we were going to have a repudiating victory. And when when it was clear that that wasn't the case and that um, 50 million people in the country uh, like actively were choosing the current administration in spite of everything. Right. It was so, Oh, you know what? You know what? I'm looking at the results right now. There are, what are, what am I even looking at? There, (laughs) there have been, 140 million people have voted in this selection. 140 million is, um, am I, am I wrong? That is the population of Russia. Oh man. Yeah. The population entire, the entire population of Russia has voted in this election. The population for those, for those not informed, um, you know what, John, maybe you, you know, cause I consider you to be very informed. If you had to guess without cheating, looking it up, what do you think the population of the USA was at the end of 2019? What do you, what would your guess be? Well, I know what it is. It's what, well, I mean, I don't know exactly, but it's 360 million people. Right. Yeah. Something close. Yeah. Something like that. 330. Yeah. I think I mean, is I, what I read. I keep, I keep tabs on the population of the United States. Is it really less than 350? Um, I always think of it as three fifty. Oh, wow! You're right, Dan. It's three thirty. Something happened to those other Why thirty is... uh, million people. <laughs> I guess they did. I guess where, nothing where did. did they go? <laughs> I don't know why I've I've thought three fifty for a long time. Huh? Three thirty. Okay. So wow, half the people in the country, a little less than half the people have voted. That's unprecedented in my life. Absolutely unprecedented. And. So it's been really depressing, I think, for a lot of people in the world who imagined having lived through the last four years of just one insufferable indignity after another with all the COVID and just the, like the zero respect for 
American institutions as we understand them and just zero respect for what seemed to be like common decency Yeah, to watch tens of millions of people vote for him. (laughs) It, it, it triggered what we think it triggered my peers, right? The people that I consider to be the, uh, the, the world, the cultural world that I live in, um, it triggered this sort of massive feeling of defeat, even as we were, um, even as we were actually winning the election, because it was just a, it was just a like a hard reminder that that our tendency over the last four years to say like somehow he tricked us and got into office, but he's lost support because who could possibly support him? And so this is going to be a referendum on the whole question and we're going to win both houses and we're going to usher in a new era of um, like leftist lawmaking and reordering and we're going to eliminate the electoral college and we're going to redistrict. So things are fair and, and, you know, just all this ground game stuff, but also big picture stuff, you know, we're going to liberate the workers and eliminate capitalism or whatever it was that people dreamed was possible. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, and you have the normal kvetchers over there who still, for some reason, believe that if, uh, if the Democratic uh, nominee were a different person, that somehow the 65 million people who are voting for an autocrat s- would see the error of their ways and suddenly, you know, be voting uh, for a Jewish socialist seems unlikely to me. Um, but here we are, and there, so there's this outpouring of depression and anxiety and a lot of anger from people, uh, even as we were winning, and I think that's true now, and and a, and a lot of really dull-witted anger. We would love to say thank you very much to Mint Mobile. It is time to break up with your old wireless provider, and doing so just got a ton easier. Why? Because of Mint Mobile. They were the first company to sell premium wireless service online, and now Mint Mobile is introducing their unlimited data plan for just 30 bucks a month. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. Unlimited, 30 bucks, pretty awesome. How much do you pay currently for unlimited? Oh, you probably don't even have unlimited. That's right. And this is the deal. It's so much better price-wise. And what's amazing is you don't have to worry that you're not going to get like some good network or something. That's not the issue at all. It's unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You're on there. You're on there. But you're getting unlimited for 30 bucks a month. You're eliminating the traditional cost of retail by going with Mint Mobile and they pass the savings on to us, the customer. It's pretty cool, right? And you use your own phone with the Mint Mobile plan. So you're gonna keep your same phone number, you keep all your contacts, everything stays the same. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven day money back guarantee. So it's time to break up with Big Wireless, switch to Mint Mobile's premium unlimited data plan. Again, it's just 30 bucks a month. And I tried this myself and I found this to be so 
easy to use. They send you everything that you need. You pop the little uh, SIM card in your phone and like you're good to go. There's nothing to it. I showed this to my brother-in-law who's trying to save money and he loved it. It's such a great experience. I love what they send you. I love the the fun attitude of the company. They get it. You know, they're one of those companies that really just gets it. So uh, to get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 30 bucks a month and get it shipped to your door for free, you're going to go to Mint Mobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E, mintmobile.com slash roadwork. That's right. You just go mintmobile.com slash roadwork and, uh, and you will get that special deal that we're telling about. It's great, great service, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks very much to Mint Mobile for making this show possible. You know, it's very easy to, it's very easy to sit on a toadstool and tweet that America is a racist country. Like that takes zero effort or thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no, it's it's no longer a wise or penetrating insight. Um, it is like simplistic and reductionist and, um, and not smart and not true, right? Like 65 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. I cannot believe that all of them are racist bigots. No, I cannot just not possible. No, I can't dismiss them. In other words, like whatever's motivating them, I cannot dismiss it with a, with a sweep of the hand that they're all white people or they're all bigots or they're all something. They're not all something. They are as varied a group of people as the 70 million people that voted for Joe Biden and presumably as varied a group of people as the hundred and what 80 million people that didn't vote. And that's the, that's the group of people that's just, I can't even get my head around, mm-hmm. right? The hundred, half, fully half the country that's like, oh, elections don't matter or there's an election or whatever it is that, that, that half the people are just like, oh, I didn't vote. Uh, but, but so, uh, you know, watching, and again, the, the huge mistake of using Twitter as your, as your uh, aperture using Twitter to, as your news source and as your, as your place to check in with the world, there's just this cacophony of liberal voices, leftist voices who in this depression that there wasn't, that it, that this wasn't a resounding victory that 80% of Americans didn't repudiate Trump and that it, it, that it could be revealed that all these MAGA hats were, were, you know, like just, uh, hillbillies mm-hmm. or, and no offense to the, to our hillbilly listeners that want to remind me that there are plenty of hillbillies that are smart and, and gracious, but also it's not wise to say, I knew it all along. It's not wise to say America is a racist country and, and there's no, you know, and, and all, not only did 65 million Americans vote for white supremacy, but the 70 million people that voted for Joe Biden are also complicit in it. You know, like that kind of, um, it's not even cynicism. It's just, it's a different form of like wave your hand and dismiss huge worlds of ideas with one just sort of like contemptuous spit on the ground 
because none of the none of those voices, those people who are like blech, blech. I mean, they're, 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 it's the exact same mentality. It's like I didn't even vote because it because those voices are not contributing any plan, right? This is real politic. This is the world as it is. This is, we still want to make the world better. Do we not? We still have our ideals and our, uh, and we still, uh, live in a, in a world with the ethic, ethics and morals. We still want to accomplish the things we want to accomplish. So if you don't have a plan for it, then take a seat, take a seat and like read a book and study or come up with something, something positive to contribute and let's clear the airwaves for people who have positive things to say about what our, what our options are, what our opportunities are and what to do about it. You know, the people that are like, I can't be hopeful because we're all about to die because of climate change and yeah, you can't take, you can't be like that. You can't take that attitude toward it. It's like, take, take a seat. You know, like we've all read the same newspaper articles and books that you have read. So you're not smarter than us, <laughs> than, you know, like yeah. none of you tweeters are smarter than the rest of the tweeters. So basically it's like, do you have some thoughts or do you feel like shit and want to share it? And if you feel like shit and want to share it, shut the fuck up <laughs> and make some room for people who are like, here's our opportunities Here's what we need to do next. You know, if we have a lame duck situation or if we have a, if we have a Senate that's been like the Senate we've had, what do we do about it? The Democrats have been incredibly passive, incredibly like weak willed somehow at, at a core level. And it's because the Democrats believe that they, and continue to believe and liberals continue to believe that we can convince our opponents by using logic. And if this has shown us anything, it is that there are 60 million Americans who are engaged enough to vote whom you cannot convince with logic. So what's the, what is the next plan? What's the strategy? You don't go into this next four years trying to convince people with logic, but you can't go into it utilizing the, the same tactics of fascism. And just shove shit down people's throats. So what do we do? Like lay it out for me. Oh, great thinkers. <laughs> oh, great thinkers who can with a, with a wave of your hand, dismiss all of America as a white supremacist, uh, like com- completely compromised white supremacist project. Like go ahead and give, you know, give me some fucking story. And if you can't take a fucking seat, you know, it's so, it's so frustrating to me that you could stand on the threshold of an opportunity like the one we have right now and have anything to say that isn't, um, positive and hopeful because we all already know about climate change, about racism, about fascism, about, we all know, you know, we've, and if you don't know, uh, I don't know what to tell you, but you're not going to learn from, from all this post-election analysis, uh, uh, in the form of righteously indignant tweets about how these are the end times. It's, it's the worst. And we haven't even, the election's not even over. And when it is over, 
there's going to be a lot. We're, we're going to have to, the next two months are going to be a lot of suffering. But I'm extremely hopeful that, you know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of, Chiefs of Staff had a private Zoom call with all of the top brass and said, you fucking stay your troops. Hmm. You know, you, you, all of you, let me remind you as your commanding officer, you stay the fuck out of this. Don't anybody take a step forward. And that's a, exactly what you want. The, uh, you know, the command of the army to say to one another, and this wasn't some press conference. This was like a, this was a private, like all hands meeting. And that's been true in a lot of places. And what it does is it, is it, it is a systemic repudiation of Trump. He's over there saying we've got, you know, the elections of fraud and every single person that could confirm that is denying it. Every, every person in power who's con, who could confirm it so mm-hmm. that it, it's clearly a, a partisan and ultimately illegal tactic. And that in and of itself is a return to norms that, you know, it's the beginning of a reestablishment of, of a, a sense of what is normal in America, a, a, a normal adherence to the rules as written. And we have an opportunity for the next four years to codify some of those rules that we thought were plain and clear mm-hmm. and, you know, make, make things that we thought were already illegal, but it turns out weren't actually illegal, reduce the power of the executive by half. Mm-hmm. Like somehow we, along the way, and this happened a lot during, uh, the second Bush administration during the nine 11 years, a lot of power collected around the office of the presidency that didn't belong to the office of the presidency was never intended to belong to the office of the presidency. The president cannot initiate a war. Shouldn't be able to, Mm -hmm. but the Bush administration made a lot of, um, they, they established a lot of precedent and all the gray area and all the wiggle room and all of the gentlemen's agreements that that amazingly governed the conduct uh, <clears throat> of the executive branch, they just decided they were going to push it and they succeeded. And we need as Democrats to to take that power back and you know, and, and reinvigorate Congress and make Congress again, a place where, um, where it isn't just a schoolyard fight. Now, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I especially don't know how to do it now that legislators understand themselves to be, and in in particular on one side of the aisle, understand themselves to be, um, beholden only to their own constituents and not to the nation, which is, which is a recent evolution. You know, the, the, the premise is that people vote for you and you go to Washington with, uh, the power of their voices behind you. But 
they choose you because you represent yourself as someone who is smart and capable and ready to go into those rooms and on behalf of people and understanding where they stand, make decisions to accomplish through law the the progress of the nation. And to go into those rooms and say, I, ref- I either refuse to vote or I will only be obstructionist here because I cannot think past my constituents' most base understanding. And if I pander to them, I'll get reelected. And if I don't, if I challenge them to think harder, Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just be defeated. And so rather than do that, I'm just going to sit here and be and retrench in the, you know, in the lowest common denominator. I I honestly don't know how to wreck that other than this crazy process of like ungerrymandering some of these districts so that the districts themselves are more diverse. We would love to say thanks very much to a new sponsor, Holus Bolus Winery. These guys are so cool. I want to tell you about them. They make independent wine for independent people. They don't have any investors. They don't have a gigantic, they're not like a a big factory operation. This is just the forearms and four legs of Amy and Peter. They're a husband and wife team. They love wine. They know wine. And they want everyone's wine to be delicious and made by real people, not spreadsheets, corporate meetings. And it really is just Peter and Amy, and they farm all five acres of their vineyard, which is called the Joy Fantastic. And like, it really is from their farm to your table. That's like not just a term for them. They have done this, but they they built this over time, just the two of them. They reinvested whatever profits they made over the years back into the winery until they could finally plant their own vineyard, which they did back in 2014. And you, you probably know their stuff because Amy is a master of wine. Of the 409 masters of wine on the planet, only 52 of them are in the United States, and of those, only 18 of them are women. So how cool is that? They use high-quality grapes from cool climates. They're certified organic uh, by the CCOF, and every grape in every bottle is grown in Santa Rita Hills and Santa Maria Valley, California. So whether you go with the Pinot, or the Chardonnay, or the Syrah, it's all great stuff. They have two labels. One is named after the vineyard, the Joy Fantastic, and the other is after the winery, Holus Bolus. I have tried a handful of these wines. I don't drink a lot. I don't drink very often. And that just means that when I do... I really want something great, and their wine is really, really fantastic. Again, they're made naturally. They use native yeast, so they're vegan. They don't use any animal products, period. They're all bottled with low levels of sulfur, too. So you can go to thejoyfantastic.com. You'll learn more, and you can order something for yourself or a loved one. And the holidays are coming up. So think about it. It's a really, really great gift. You can try one wine or you can get, they have the Joy Fantastic 3-pack, which is a really great way to start. They've also got a wine club for either label. And uh, I have the t-shirt that has the cool octopus on it, which I really love. I wear it at least once a week and people always ask me about it. And I love to tell this story. Um, I'm supposed to mention the wine club members, they get 15% off every order. And guess what? Listeners of this show, Amy and Peter are going to give you 
the awesome sweet wine club discount through December 31st, 2020, when you use the code roadwork 15. So it's easy to remember because you know the name of the show and then 15% off every order. So that's the code to use the joyfantastic.com roadwork 15. When you check out to get 15% off, really recommend this wine. It really is great. Thanks very much to Holus Bolus for making this show possible. I, I feel like I could rant for an hour and a half, Dan, and I don't know if that is helpful or in service of anything in this, in the context of this show and in, you know, sort of standing and watch with our listeners. I don't think it hurts anything to, to do it. And I think it's the way that a lot of people feel or the way that they're kind of working out and you're expressing it. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. Yeah. But I do think that we're all kind of sharing in that, in, in a lot of these feelings where we're, we're kind of, unha- I, I mean, and here's the other thing, regardless of whether you're conservative or liberal, are there a lot of people who are happy with the way that things are right now? Even, even if you are um, pro-Trump. Are you happy? Like, are you sitting there thinking, yeah, this is like good, like things are really good. And I, and that's the one question that I have is over the last, you know, four or so years, I don't, I, it doesn't seem like people are, um, are, are happy because there's so much trouble. There's so many things to be, I'm not saying people aren't finding happiness in their lives, but I'm saying like this climate that we've been in. I feel like we as Americans are less unified than ever. We're unified in many, many isolated ways where one group or community or um, movement is very unified, but then there's 500 other ones that are against it, you know, whatever it is, or there's people who are against, it just feels like everyone's against everyone else in so many different ways. And, you know, maybe I was too young as a kid to see it, and maybe this is the way that it's always been here or elsewhere. But I just feel like there was a long period of time where we might have had different political views or we might have had different philosophies on what would fix the economy and things like that. But I just feel like and maybe it's the social disarray that's going on. I don't know, but it just seems it seems like things are really messy right now. Yeah, they are. And and. I think that I think that our conservative friends, the conservative half of the United States, has grown to believe that the left and the 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 liberal project is motivated by and this may sound crazy to leftists, but they really firmly believe that the that the left is motivated by a, a kind of fascistic desire to have power first and foremost, and to use that power to undermine American institutions with a goal of taking away the edifice, taking away the foundation of what makes America great and replacing it with dependency and fear mm-hmm. yeah. and cowardice and a feminization of men and a, and a indoctrination 
of, uh, you know, of children basically. Mm-hmm. And they really believe it. And there's ample, ample evidence that they can, you know, run up the flagpole to prove it. And, you know, the, the, that book that I read several years ago that made such an impression on me, um, the meaning of Hitler, one of the things that made the most, you know, the, the, the strongest impression on me was that Hitler did not think that the Jews were subhuman. That was all part of the, you know, the propaganda campaign. Hitler believed that the Jews were extremely smart and dangerous. And the Nazis believed that, uh, you know, they characterized the Jews as these, uh, you know, these um, shtetl, you know, kind of uh, money lenders. But what they really thought was happening was that the Jews were trying to take control of the world and they were doing it by making the Germans weak. The way that the Jews were going to take over the world was they didn't have an army to do it. They weren't conquerors. What their project was, was to make the powerful people, the Aryans, the Germans, the, you know, the truly active, manly people, to make them weak by promoting jazz music (laughs) and equality with other races and uh, modern art and architecture, all these things that were degenerate and that degeneracy, which they saw as undermining the pure German work ethic and the German sense of urgency and power in the, in the people and their, and the ethnic purity of the Germans Mm -hmm. was was at risk from inside because there were these, you know, these very canny Jews who were members of a global group of Jews who were smart and rich and wanted to profit from, um, the, you know, the evisceration of these powerful nations through these cultural and, uh, you know, and in a way like philosophy belonged to the Jews and studying philosophy only confused a good German. And so we shouldn't do it. You know, all these things that we think of as like arts and culture <laughs> were all seen as undermining what should be, you know, a healthy population that at the, at the most listened to Wagner and you see that in in what's happening in America today. And, you know, the, the connection to the Jews is a little bit more diffuse. But the idea that, um, that certain sort of cultural pursuits are intrinsically de- degenerate and they make people weaker and more feminine, feminine and, and racially muddled. And what is strong and good is the old America. Mm-hmm. But, but that, that set of convictions 
isn't it, it's its primary motivation is not racist racism is a kind of um you know a sidecar to it its primary v- motivation is simplicity like the simplest explanation is probably correct and what you what you want to do is walk out the door in the morning and feel like things are consistent and stable and knowable and beyond that you don't want to look too deeply into things because it only confuses things and as long as things are knowable and stable what more could you ask for you get three squares you go to work you come home it is a and 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 when your kid comes to you and says i want to get a piercing <laughs> or your kid comes to you and says i want to be a dentist you can say no that's not what we do and you you can feel like you're in control of your kids and your family you can feel <laughs> right. like the 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 world isn't is manageable well on the other side here we are and we have now characterized the the conservatives as people who are ugly bigoted mm-hmm. fearful and trying to accomplish their goals by consolidation of power in a fascistic way. You know, we're, we have characterized one another in exactly the same terms, but the left sees the right as uneducated, as, um, working against their own interests, as desiring to, um, put, us all in camps and make being gay illegal and make miscegenation illegal, you know, like make it return to a place where the races have to be distinct and we're going to send people back home to their, to their own nations. And, you know, like we have characterized that 60 million people in terms, um, where, where the, where we're saying they're basically like Romanian coal miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> M- <laughs> you know, and it, and what we fail to appreciate is that there are a lot of, obviously a lot of very smart, capable people on the right. They are not character. They're really no different than your family members. And in many cases they are, there are your family members. And what we, what we don't give them is that they have a cohesive and coherent worldview that's based not in a, you know, not in a desire to punish us, but it's based in a desire to protect themselves and to, um, to honor and celebrate the things that they think are, are good and right. And actually our view, the, the, the liberal view is confusing and challenging and destabilizing, right? Because the liberals want to keep pushing the envelope. We want to keep including more people, not excluding. 
and in including more people and more viewpoints, it is, it does get confusing. You get, you get a, it's like a constant steady flow of internal contradictions to be liberal because you are trying to make a coalition out of people and some of them, you know, on the right, it's a coalition, right? And some of them believe the earth was created in seven days Mm -hmm. and some of them don't, but they all agree or, or, you know, they largely agree that, uh, in general, like transgender bed, uh, bathrooms in elementary schools are a bridge too far, right? It's kind of a unifying sense that, that the left is a bridge too far. But on the left, we have people in our coalition who believe there is no bridge too far, you know, that we should, um, we should pursue the most radical cultural and economic possibilities we can conceive of. And then you have all the people like uh, between that and whatever, you know, whatever like abhorrent center Democrat it is that the leftists feel is the real problem in the world who wants all those, you know, wants those things that, that, um, once those sort of general premises of like one day you should try and be a homeowner and send your kids to college and a rising tide lifts all boats, you know, that kind of just they're liberals and they want there to be, and they're not opposed to free college and they want people to read books and be learned and, you know, and they imagine that if you read the New York times, you will know what there is to know. And, um, you know, they don't want to close the world down. They want to open it up. They're just more cautious, but that coalition is extremely ungainly. And within it, there are so many, so many internal battles. It's why I've, I've always said, like, there's nothing that a liberal hates more than a liberal that is, that is one degree of separation from them on either side. It's a, you know, it's an incredibly self-sabotaging group of people. And in a, in a parliamentary world, America would have 50 different parties. And you could have, you know, radical greens on one side and, and crypto fascists on the other and in the center they would be the christian democrats and the and the democratic christians and it would be you know it would in a way it would provide a place for people to silo and say like okay how many members of the how many members of the green party do we have to have in this parliament in order to get legislation passed and the greens would understand where they fit into things. And right now we're trying to put all those people into what the democratic party. It's like the democratic party is like IBM in the sixties. <laughs> it's just like, how is this, how is this being administered? There, there are people all over the world and they all, it's just like clip on ties or what unite us. No. But in general, I think that those two sides, that, that division and that sense that right across the aisle, the, pe- the people that are your next door neighbors are fascists who want to take away what's best 
and replace it with what is worst. Like that divide is so comical that although right now it feels like this impenetrable barrier, like it's ludicrous. It's ridiculous on the face of it. Your next door neighbor who is, who shares every single thing with you, including a fence, but who voted for the other candidate is not a fascist Mm -hmm. any more than you are, right? Doesn't want to come across that fence and shove anything down your throat. Uh, so bridging it isn't as hard as it seems. Um, like it can't be because building that wall didn't take very much time. I mean, it started before Trump, but you know, it took 20 years. Um, and it's based on a, on a fabric of lies. And it's a fabric of lies that's very internally consistent. It's lies about climate. It's lies about economy. It's lies about morality. But it is lies or or gross exaggerations. So what, culturally, like what is, what are some things that unify us? Um, it used to be a love of Michael Jackson. Right. Or the space Um, shuttle. Yeah. Or the space shuttle or, or like everybody in, um, presumably everybody in America has heard the Eagles greatest hits. (laughs) Now, not everybody in America loves the Eagles. I think everybody in America does love Fleetwood Mac's rumors. I have never met a person that didn't like it. Yeah. I think you would have to be, you'd have to be a pretty unusual person to not like back in black. But we can all agree that Billy Jean is a thing that was made in a time that everybody whatever your, whatever your stripe was, you know, when that baseline comes in, like who, whose heart turns to stone. Right. That's it. You're, you're, you're describing exactly what I was trying to get at. And that there was this, like we were all, we might've had different opinions, but we were on the same page. Or in the same book. Or in the same book, right. at least. At least, if not on the same page, in the same book. And it doesn't feel like that now, does it? Well, no. Uh, and and partly it is because there's been a real retrenchment on either side. And all I have is the power to speak generally to liberals. Because I presume, and I know there are, I know there are, plenty of conservative people who follow some or another version of, of my programming. And a lot of times I hear from people who are like, I'm conservative and I like hearing your point of view. 
but I get a lot out of the other stuff that you talk about. And so, you know, the fact that I disagree with you politically or about certain things, you know, it's easy for me to, to have that disagreement and still believe that you're a person of good faith. And that's the key, right? To believe that you believe what you're saying and you have a foundation that supports it. And although I disagree with you, the fact that I believe you're a person of good faith does not mean, does not prohibit me from listening to the other things you say and and agreeing with you. And that used to be true a lot. Like I read George Will. I read every George Will column for 20 years. I, um, I can't say that I enjoyed William F. Buckley, but I enjoyed hating William F. Buckley. <laughs> I consumed William F. Buckley. Uh, and, you know, and I felt a lot of schadenfreude every time William F. Buckley got his ass handed to him by somebody. But, but I didn't feel like William F. Buckley was trying to undermine the Republic. And I certainly didn't think George Will was. And so, but really I'm speaking to an audience that is liberal, I imagine, on the whole. Yeah, and I, so I think all, without a doubt. All I can do is address our prejudice. And when I talk about it, a lot of people get their hackles up, really up, because they feel like there's so much on the right that is abhorrent that to address prejudice or um, or contradiction within the left is divisive. But it's not. It's not divisive to address it and to say, now wait a minute, this internal con- contradiction cannot be resolved, but it doesn't have to be. It just has to be acknowledged. You cannot say that this and that are part of a unified liberal platform because they're because they they don't jibe. So we have to say like this is part of a platform, this is part of a different platform. They're part of a liberal coalition, but the but this difficulty has to be resolved and it has to be confronted. It has to you have to be able to argue your side whilst acknowledging the validity of the other side within liberalism, within leftism. Mm -hmm. Because if you are a coalition, you have to step out of that room and say, well, we disagree about this, but we have come to the, we've come to a compromise and here it is. And the people that are on the, on the wing of the left that refuse to compromise, like you have to acknowledge they're there and they do, they do change the tenor of the conversation, but you cannot possibly include them uh, beyond a certain point in the actual negotiations because they refuse to compromise. So they torpedo negotiations because things are accomplished via negotiation. It's the only way. Um, If you dismantled the entire American system, if you reduced the world to anarchy the first five people that got together to decide what to do with this barrel of gasoline <laughs> would have to negotiate. <laughs> so, you know, it's a first principle. 
And if you make yourself, if you exclude yourself from the possibility of negotiating, if you think you're so fucking right that you cannot bend, then you have to be excluded. Ultimately, we can hear your voice. You're standing there on the outside of the fence screaming and we have to take it into consideration, but you can't be part of a, a decision because you refuse. But to point out things within the left and to say like, look, if we persist in believing that the that one entire half of the country can be reduced to its most base description that they are they're all clan members then what what you're doing is excluding the possibility of ever coming to a, a an agreement with them and that has to be impossible from a liberal perspective you cannot be liberal and also believe you cannot ever come to a rapprochement with your adversaries because liberalism is predicated on the idea that we teach and learn and grow. And if you don't believe we can teach and if you don't believe we can learn, then we can't grow. And therefore you're not a liberal. You are a what you are. You can be a leftist revolutionary and believe those things. But what you're ultimately saying is you will not compromise. And in order to accomplish your goals, you will impose them on people who ha cannot be made to understand. And through that imposition, you can only accomplish it via uh, an authoritarian state. You cannot impose views unless you're prepared to back up that imposition with police or some kind of enforcement or some culture of punishment and punishment for punishment for deviating from a, from a theory that isn't widely embraced or, or mm -hmm. isn't embraced by, you know, by a super majority. That's not liberal. You know, that's not the, that is not, 92% of the left, 98% of the left. But that is so hard. It's so hard to say we are culpable because we have stopped trying to teach. We have stopped trying to learn. We are accepting now, um, we are accepting mainstream voices who believe they already know everything mainstream voices that, um, that are demagogues and the, and watching the left mainstream demagoguery is, ha, has been in, in some ways, one of the more depressing things because at, at, as soon as we're in lockstep, we're betraying our, our fundamental principles, which is uh, the first among them is that we are learning and growing. Um, we're the side that learns and grows and it's our obligation to bring our fearful friends forward.
that's the that is the contribution that I can make to the people that listen to me. I cannot and refuse to sit here on uh, you know in my bully pulpit and just rail at our enemies as though they are cartoons. Our enemies can't hear, and if they could, they wouldn't be swayed. And all I'm doing is, um, is massaging the genitals of people who are on my side of the political aisle, but are too afraid to engage and want things to be simple and want there to be consistent explanations for things and to walk out the front door of their house and have everything be knowable. And that's just not who we are and it's not our role in the world. You cannot be a liberal and walk out the door and have everything be knowable. Even if what you think is knowable is that we are a racist country founded in rape culture and misogyny. You know, if, if that is what gives you comfort, um, like you're just as bad as, as thinking when you walk out the door every day that we are a country in the sway of a Jewish conspiracy. It's just as illogical and just as untrue. And it fulfills the same role, which is to stoke your fear, give you a sense of righteousness, and at the same time make the world seem knowable and consistent and driven by forces that you can be at war with. And that's just not and and it's that's not liberal and to have it be mainstreamed in twitter and in our twitter culture and in you know the whatever the realm of think pieces and online posts and you know just like the rabble of people with bachelor's degrees who are somehow now our lodestars or lodestones mm-hmm Lone stars, lodestones. <laughs> it's the same. They're the same thing. <laughs> but, but, you know, to have, to have this bully pulpit, you know, to say these things are, uh, this doesn't, this isn't stuff that I can, that, that I have the in, intestinal fortitude to wade into a room of people who aren't friends. Right, I can say this to our listeners because they've opted in. They're here right. and they're they're here voluntarily and they know that they can leave at any time and a lot of them disagree but they're smart and so can hold two ideas in their mind simultaneously. But my whole life I was I was raised, I was bred to believe that my job was to wade into the public sphere with this, to be like Bono in the, you know, at Red Rocks, waving a giant red flag and, um, and singing, you know, singing my song and, and galvanizing and, you know, and teaching those who do not want to be taught. And I just don't have the fortitude to do it because I don't, I, I don't want to wake up every day with my stomach in knots, with my, you know, sleeping with my shield over my, over me with one hand on the hilt of my sword. Like I don't want to live that way. 
And I, and I'm afraid that it makes me timid, that it makes me less valuable than I could be, that mm. I could be in the vanguard. But it's, and especially now, it's very difficult to be in a vanguard of moderates, you know, or a vanguard of people who are, who are counseling self-reflection rather than pointing their sword across the barricade and saying, you know, rally to me. We would like to say thank you very much to Squarespace. They help you turn your idea into a beautiful website. And there's a lot on, on this, the notes that are in front of me that they want me to read to you. But instead, I'm just going to tell you one of the things that I love the most about Squarespace. Yes, it's amazingly easy to build a website without knowing any HTML and CSS. Yes, they got 24-7 support. All the things that you would expect from a company like Squarespace, it really does set the standard for this kind of thing. Uh, but, but that's not what I want to tell you about. What I want to tell you about is the thing that I find to be the biggest challenge when you're actually uh, running a website, it's not the building of it, which they make very easy to do. It's the maintaining of it. It's the fact that most likely whoever's going to be maintaining that website that you're, you're, uh, you're setting up, and maybe it's you, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's an employee, maybe it's a client, it has to be easy for them to do it or they'll never do it. And that's the, what Squarespace is so good at. They make it incredibly easy for you to keep that site running, to go and add new content. A lot of the time, all you have to do is just drag and drop something in it. You make a YouTube video, you want to embed it, they make it super easy. You want to pull content from somewhere else, they make it easy to do it. You want to add a blog post, so easy to do it. And because of the way their system is set up, if you want to change the look and the feel of the entire site, change and pick a whole new template and change every single page, it couldn't be easier. You just pick the new template. They let you preview what the site's going to look like. You hit a button, boom, it's live. And you can customize it, tweak it, make it your own. That's what Squarespace is all about, helping you make it yourself and make it stand out. Built-in SEO, free and secure hosting. Uh, they've even got a new way to buy domains. They've got over 200 domain name extensions you can get right there at Squarespace. They've got the built-in e-commerce functionality. I mean, if you're ready to start a new business, if you're reinventing your old one, if you can think it, if you can dream it, Squarespace makes it happen for you. So go over to squarespace.com slash roadwork. Just visiting the URL supports our show. But when you're there, do yourself a favor and use the promo code roadwork and you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So one more time for the URL, squarespace.com slash roadwork supports us. Promo code roadwork supports you 10% off your first purchase a website, or a domain. Squarespace has always been there for us, supporting our shows, and we hope you give them a chance and give them a try the next time you get a cool project. Thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show possible. And I, I don't know anymore if there's a world, if there's a place for public intellectuals who are leftists, but, but flinch at reductionism and I, other than podcasting, mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose I could be writing essays, but I'm talking to friends here and I'm hoping that some of the, some of our friends listening are young and energetic and, and 
in a world where they're taking action and that this council will help them. But I don't, you know, but I can't reconcile that feeling that, that, uh, that talking to 20,000 friends is enough to fulfill my destiny as a, as a, a pundit or a guide or a minister or whatever I was put here to do. But God, Dan, if we had a hundred thousand listeners, I don't know if I would want the, I don't know if I would want the grief. I might be, I might be closer to Merlin who's just like, I don't want those emails. So I don't say those things because I feel it every day. I mean, I, I compose 10 tweets a day that I don't send out because it's just like, I don't want the grief. I I was talking to, you know, I was talking to Adam and Ben today and we did uh, the episode that we did for Friendly Fire that comes out tomorrow is about the movie Exodus. And in the course of reviewing the movie Exodus, I kind of went on uh, I went on a little like a thoughtful not rant but a thoughtful uh, essay on an aspect of Israel, an aspect of the Israeli experiment in Palestine. And those two guys, to their everlasting credit, because after I was done with the episode, I was like, I'm going to get letters. I went too far. Not too far in my thinking, mm-hmm. but too far in my speaking for the world as it is without and, probably enough disclaimers and explanations yeah. and a pop pre pre apologies. And right. I'm super bad at bowing and scraping. I do not like to preface anything with an apology. I don't like to characterize things with a, with a, uh, a giant set of parentheses that say, I acknowledge my privilege. And so I'm basically taking away my conviction here. Like I don't like to do any of those things, but when, when I say things, then it feels emphatic and it often is, but those guys, uh, wrote me this morning and said, we need, we should talk about this. We should talk about this sidebar within the show because although it's, um, in the context of our show, absolutely, um, in keeping with our with our thinking, the conversation around it is really great, but do we, and specifically you, John, want to put this into the world? Because it's going to spark a 1,000 comment thread on Reddit, (laughs) and, you know, like my punk rock article of 10 years ago, do you actually go on record with with something even if you mean it lightheartedly or as a as a um as a conversation start do you want to be the focus of it and you know for those two guys to have that much care and consideration and intelligence to recognize that they care enough about me that they would offer to take it out 
to edit around it, to excise it in order to protect me, even if, even though leaving it in would direct more attention to our show. That's not I mean, the that's kind a, of attention that you are wanting from it. No. no. And the thing is they could, you know, they could step back and raise their hands and go, I don't know. That's what he said. <laughs> but they, but they care enough about me to make that call to not edit me in the moment to listen, but to think about it over the course of several weeks since we recorded it and to say today, Hey, this is coming out tomorrow. What do you say? And when they, when they brought it to my attention, I realized, oh, I've been thinking about this since the day we recorded it, and I've been worried about this moment, and they're absolutely right. The conversation about that movie is, um, is interesting and fun without that commentary, and I would rather not wake up on Saturday morning to a 1,000 comment thread on Reddit. And so take it out is what I said. And that feels to, uh, to the, to the part of me that is still 25, that feels like cowardice. Um, it feels like that I'm, um, I'm dishonest. But to the part of me that's 50, too, it feels uh, like self-preservation. And to try and, you know, to try and hold both of those together and say, because I think sometimes when I'm 68... When I'm 70, will I have a new opportunity to really be candid with the world? Because at that age, I'm, I'm insulated from the, you know, from virulent attack because a lot of people can dismiss me as an old man. Will I feel free again to speak? And honestly, Having watched my political beliefs evolve when I'm 70 years old, will I, uh, will I have become entrenched? Will I, will I share the values I have today? I don't know. I do look forward to a time when I'm liberated from, um, from the restraints and constraints of, of this middle period of my life where I no longer want to be at war with the world. But I'm not yet, um, and I've never been someone who is confident enough in his beliefs to fight for them as though they were scripture. Because every thing I think I understand, I also have tried to understand its opposite and have tried to be able to speak eloquently about the opposition to what I've concluded is the, is the truer idea. So I cannot stand up there and wave that red flag. I've never been able to because I'm not a soldier and never was. 
I'm a something else. I play a different role. And and it's not that that I'm a diplomat either. But that but that that creeping feeling of cowardice that I can only say so much, that I can only be prompted, I can only engage with arguments to a degree before um I close it down. Right. And you, and you, but you have to do that. That's like protecting yourself. That's what they call the millennials call self-care. Well, it does. But what it does is it seeds that public space. And I, by seed, I mean C-E-D-E. It seeds that public mm-hmm. space to the louder and more strident voice that steps into the void where I stepped back. Right. But you have to do that for your own like sanity and peace of mind. But I honestly was raised with the idea that at a certain point you have to sacrifice yourself to the, to what you know to be good, like to actually sacrifice yourself right. is noble. Yeah. And to, to stand at that juncture and fail to sacrifice yourself is to be coward, cowardly or worse, um, to betray the truth as you know it. Mm-hmm. But the problem is in none of these instances does wading into a Twitter dispute feel like the moment, <laughs> you know, it never quite yeah. feels like this is where I, uh, you know, where I put myself in harm's way. And again, if I were younger and felt that climate change and racism were so, uh, ascendant that every day is the day every moment is the is the last opportunity if i believed that but also if i believed it you know my voice would would probably be as irrelevant as it was when i was 25 and when i was 25 my voice was irrelevant i didn't have a platform no one had any reason to take me seriously. I was just another, um, another like wound up 24 year old that hadn't thought about it enough. But, you know, I sure see a lot of my peers not thinking about it enough and advocating for, viewpoints that are lazy and are being promoted and promulgated by loud voices who have that, who have the actual conviction and the conviction appears in the world like, um, studied confidence. And that's the thing that's the, the most difficult is that conviction looks like often, um, conviction looks like the product of study and it often isn't conviction is the product of having explored an idea to the point where you found a solution to it and not pursuing it any further. And that often is right on the surface. You look at a problem, you see the solution, you 
exclude all contradictory evidence, build a wall around that solution, print it on a flag, and go out. And that, to me, is not an educated position. It's a militant one, or it's a, well, it's an ignorant one. But it comports with, with our desire to have things be knowable and, and um, you know, uh, reliable. And watching my friends, my intelligent friends, salute those flags and salute them in the same way that my cowardice retracts me from the conversation. They salute them and then turn around and close the door and go back to their normal lives and hope that having saluted those flags, they're off the hook or they are, you know, they're on the record and off the hook. And I don't, I don't admire it uh, because it gives a false sense of, um, it gives a false sense that those ideas are widely shared when really what they are is widely unreflected upon hmm. and parroted because they're knowable. 